Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. Hey, loves. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about my new free five-day workshop called You Are Worthy. So many of us women, especially women of color, are conditioned to believe that we don't deserve the best. The best car, the best clothes, the best highest paying jobs, the best health care, the best love. We tend to shrink ourselves, overextend ourselves to please others, thinking that settling is good enough. But what if that were not true? What if we built and boosted our self-love so that we could step up into our full worth? Imagine what could be possible. Imagine living your best life, one beyond your wildest dreams. Join me on February 1st for this five-day workshop that takes you through breath, movement, meditation, and mantra to help you boost self-love and reconnect with and deeply listen to the most important person in the world, you. When you connect with your deepest divine self, everything is possible. Enrollment is now open at suryagian.com slash you are worthy. Now on today's episode. Hello loves, welcome to another episode of Vinyasa Inverse. How are you on this beautiful day? I hope wherever you are, you're able to just pause, take a deep breath in, and exhale to remember that you are beautiful no matter what is going on around you and that your breath can bring you even just a little moment of beauty into your life. Okay, so we're going to start, as we always do, with a poem from The Gift Poems by Hafez, the great Sufi master, and the translation is done by Daniel Ladinsky. So here we go. Listen to the ruffle of pages. Okay, so today's poem is called The Ambience, or Ambience, depending on who you talk to, (laughs) of love. So The Ambience of Love. We all sit in his orchestra. Some play their fiddles. Some wield their clubs. Tonight is worthy of music. Let's get loose with compassion. Let's drown in the delicious ambience of love. Hmm. I love that. I love the the brevity of it. Um, It's funny, you know, when I choose these poems, I always have to choose between two (laughs) because you open the book and there's one poem on each side of the book. Uh, And usually I just choose whatever my eye lands on first. And the ambience of love was, was that. But on the facing page, the poem is called Tired of Speaking Sweetly. And I'm very curious about that poem. So I'm going to have to read that one after I'm done recording this episode. Um, So back to the ambience of love. We all sit in his orchestra, some play their fiddles and some wield their clubs. So that is so interesting in terms of thinking about how far we've come um, just politically, culturally, socially in the United States over the last year uh, where there's been a lot of division um, with some folks playing their fiddles, you know, 
showing kindness and compassion and some wielding their clubs with words of hate uh, with weapons literal weapons you know and just some some really violent behaviors um, and so this is this is what Hafez is talking about is this orchestra of God this divine orchestra that we are part of we as humans are part of are bound to be in it with our different instruments and so what instruments are we choosing to play and why you know to think about what are the choices that we're making in how we're participating in this orchestra and what I love about this one is in the middle of the poem in this short poem in the right in the middle is this line call set that says tonight is worthy of music and I love that because it's it's a call at least the way I'm reading it it's a call for peace and harmony <laughs> harmony get it um, for us to come together as people and make music to not fight to not create dissonance to not try to divide our human orchestra tonight this night is worthy of music so we gotta get ready for our performance to make music together and so he calls on us to get loose with compassion to really like you know shake it up some get loose with compassion don't hold it to yourself let it go share it with everybody as you play your instrument and then he says let's drown in the delicious ambience of love and I love his language and I know it's being translated by um, you know into English so there may be some some things lost I actually that reminds me I'd, I'd like to, I think I'm going to reach out to my my friend who does um, who does translations from the Persian um, and ask her about this poem and I'll get back to you guys but let's drown in the delicious ambience of love his ecstatic language for the divine is so beautiful and for me it feels very in the moment very intense very high vibration very full of love and passion um, to drown in the delicious ambience of love you know you think about ambience of love it's the setting you know how soft it might feel how uplifting it feels and the word delicious you know just taste it like what does love taste like for me chocolate maybe chocolate cake Okay, but in the ambience of it, so maybe just the smell of chocolate cake. <laughs> you know, I am drowning in the delicious smell of chocolate cake. And that is the ambience of love. For me, anyway, for me. Um, so you choose. You choose how you want to experience the delicious ambience of love. And so how can we tap into that? How can we use our experience of drowning in the ambience of love to then create more love, to then share love, to show compassion, to show empathy to those around us. You know, um, we've been living, at least in the States, we've been living in a very um, rough patch of time, we'll say, uh, especially in the last year, in terms of divisions. There's been a lot of extreme positions where people stand and 
and I want to say over the last four years, there's just been a lack of empathy. There's been a lack of compassion, a lack of kindness, a lack of seeing another person who might be on a different page than you, um, the lack of seeing them as a fellow human being. And so what I feel this poem is doing is inviting us to, to shift how we've been reacting how we've been seeing others on the other side of this great divide that's been created and and grown bigger over the last four years and to look at each other's humanity and to say hey you know what we are spirit souls having a human experience right now and so my question to you is if that's the case if we are spirit souls, we're all spirit souls. We're all linked to each other. We're all from source. You know, the, the analogy that I like to use is that we're all rays of the sun. We're not the sun. We are part of the sun. We are rays of the sun. We all come from the sun. And so if we understood that, could we treat each other better? Could we treat each other as a fellow sunray um, and what the world would look like if we all could do that how amazing would that be you know last night I watched um, a movie the name of which I have to look up again um, it is about a woman named Anne Atwell and a man named C.P. Ellis and I'll remember the, the name of the movie um, and I'll put it in the show notes. But it's about a black woman named Anne Atwell and a Klan member, actually the president of his chapter named C.P. Ellis. Um, and there it takes place in Durham, North Carolina, uh, 1971, I believe. So um, there is an issue where the black school elementary school has a fire and they the town needs to figure out I don't think it's Durham proper I think it's like a suburb of Durham they they need to figure out what to do with the students do they integrate the students into the black students into the white school or do they make the black students you know go to school in a half burned building with smoke still in it you know it's just a, a mess uh, so the movie is about this story, which actually happened, uh, of how those two people, Anne Atwell and, and C.P. Lewis, Ellis, I keep saying Lewis, I don't know why, Ellis, uh, come together with a mediator along with others um, from the community to figure out what the best way to move forward is in the interest of both of both communities, the black community and the white community. Um, and it was interesting to see it all unfold. And they used a method called the charrette, which is a, a word that I, you know, even now I think is hysterical because um, it sounds like charade, but they're not really playing charades. Um, but what I saw was that there are two people on opposite ends of the spectrum. A black woman and a clan member and that like 
it was just it was a very intense movie but um in the end they were able to to compromise in the end um cp ellis was able to see black folks as human beings and that is the miracle that is the miracle that allowed them to close that gap to bridge the divide and it was amazing and so what if we could experience that if we could see that happen if we could have that happen in ourselves how beautiful the world would be how much could change and shift and how much more fantastic our planet could be our country could be um and so yeah i just i wanted to talk a little bit about that um because we we get wrapped up and when i say we i'm really talking about our own egos we get wrapped up in the physical parts of our identity of our existence you know um we get wrapped up in who's got money who doesn't who has housing who doesn't um what color is their skin is it something that's like mine or not and while these factors play a role in how our human bodies interact on this planet I'm just like I'm, I want to see us recognize each other as spirit soul sisters and brothers um, because that would just change the world in ways that we can't even imagine and that's so beautiful but anyway um yes so that is that is where the ambience of love has taken me to think about how we can bridge divisions so that we can create music in the divine orchestra that we are part of tonight is worthy of music and so let's make music right let's make it so as I'm thinking about this and the timing of of me watching the movie is is so interesting and the timing of the the poem is also so interesting of course nothing is an accident right so all these all these things are aligning these synchronicities are falling into place I'm thinking about um, a conversation I had very it wasn't long it was just a text message exchange and I know I shouldn't really um, I shouldn't should on myself first of all right um, but <laughs> it's not ideal to have um, a conversation about issues like race uh, over text messages we'll say I mean the conversation wasn't um, the text exchange wasn't heated or anything like that but it was it was interesting it was information for me that I saw but I was talking about how um, you know I I have this offer and of the, those of you who who listen to the show know that I I help women of color women writers of color uh, and teach them how to heal their traumas from the inside out you know I teach them ways of being ways of moving so that they can then step into their own power and be in charge of their own healing, right? Um, the course is called Heal to Power. 
And it's actually going to be opening up for enrollment in a, in a couple weeks. So be on the lookout for that. But I had mentioned this to a friend of mine who's a white guy. And um, he was asking me, um, you know, what I was doing for marketing and stuff like that. And then he actually um, suggested that I try to be a guest on other people's podcasts so that I can broaden my audience. I thought, yeah, that's a great idea. I just have to... Uh, be intentional about which shows I go on. And I said something to the effect of, um, you know, because I, my, my target audience is women of color. And his, his reply, this is all text message, keep in mind, this is all text message. And his reply was something along the lines of, well, you know, you might want to think about casting a wider net because that's a small subset. Your audience is a small subset. And I thought that was interesting for him to say that because he perceives that to be a small subset when actually it's not. Like, you know, if you look at the demographics and the statistics and things like that, not a small subset. But I kind of made a joke, you know, I played around with, with it, you know, because we have a fun relationship like that. And I said, I, I texted back and I said, says the white guy, right? And I go, haha, because I didn't want, you know, him to to misinterpret that. But I wanted to also let him know that women of color is not a small subset. His position as a white guy is from like, I don't know, just different. Like he's only he's only seeing white people. He knows there, there are people of color around, but he doesn't understand or realize that the, our presence is a little bit more significant than you think. Um, so I had to call him out in a kind way. Um, and then he asked this question that was really earnest. He said, how is trauma, how do people of color experience trauma differently from everybody else? You know, cause he was, he was trying to be encouraging to me and saying, Hey, why do you have to have such a small target audience? Why not open it up to everybody, right? Everyone deserves healing. And his question was valid, was legitimate. And I know that he was asking in out of earnest uh, curiosity. He wanted, he needed some, some information. Um, and I said to him, well, first, people of color experience traumas that non-people, that white people don't experience. Okay, so there is the trauma of um, racism, right? which it comes in all different kinds of shapes and sizes and colors. Um, there's big racism and then there's microaggressions and all kinds of things. So there's that. Then there's intergenerational trauma. And I told him, you know, think slavery, think um, refugees and the like. So there's, th there's those things. And then I made a second point to tell him that Generally speaking, the access to care is not equal. That people of color tend to not receive care or tend to be dismissed or questioned or gaslighted because what we experience doesn't count or doesn't match the experiences of their, I'll say, 
their their white patients or clients or whatever it is but of course not because we're experiencing the world differently um and so i said also that the the system of care in this country is designed and built on a racist system so that people of color do not get the same access as um as white folks and when i you know we, we're not going to get into the politics of that in terms of like, you know, there are people who can afford health care and there are people who cannot. It's not about that. It's about how there are medical professionals who carry um, racist conditioning that may or na- that they may or may not be aware of that um, carries out into how they treat their non-white patients. I've heard too many stories of black women who, by the way, statistically speaking, black women die more due to health reasons than any other demographic in the United States. Um, And we won't get into that. But if you want to, I can throw up some resources that you can look that up um, into the show notes. So I know plenty of black women who have had to advocate for their health and when you need to advocate for your health when you're already not healthy drains you to advocate for yourself is really hard especially when doctor is telling you like are you sure no you know what that's not what that is you know I've heard stories from women who are like you know I am feeling this and you're telling me it's this but I don't think it's this because this other thing is happening and the doctor will dismiss or just say, no, 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 that's, that's not it. Or let's do some more tests or, you know what, I'm sure you'll be fine if you just take this medication and go home and then, you know, you'll be better in a week. A week goes by, black woman still not feeling great, goes back to the doctor. Doctor's like, "Mm, I don't know what it is. Maybe go to another doctor. And so it's this continuous fight for one's health. So, um, so I told my friend this, you know, I told him all this stuff and he goes, Oh, he goes, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, and so I wanted to just bring attention to that, to bring attention to why I am helping women of color specifically, because often the care is denied the care is non-existent Um, but also there's something to be said about receiving care or help or assistance or whatever it is from somebody who gets it you know from somebody who understands what we go through it's not about excluding white folks And I will say, white folks who want to heal from trauma have so many more options available to them, so many resources. Um, But when it comes to women of color, it's not often in the conversation that we need help. And when when I'm talking about help, in this case, I'm talking more about um, healing from trauma, and, you know, psychological help, emotional support, um, 
things like that. And so for me, it's important to help my own, you know, so to speak, because there are plenty of people out there helping white folks and how many people are helping people of color. I'm talking, you know, large scale things. There are a lot of people I know who are um, in the in the communities of color helping in ways of offering well-being, wellness, you know, all that kind of good stuff. So I know I'm not the only one. I'm just, you know, trying to contribute even more. So I just wanted to bring that into the conversation because often with women of color, we've been conditioned to think that we're not worth the time. We're not worth the effort. Um, And so we try to do things on our own. We try to be self-reliant. And sometimes that self-reliance gets us into trouble. You know, Um, we refuse help when we actually need it. You know, we overextend ourselves. We put others before us so that we can not pay attention or to ourselves because we were taught that we're not valuable, we're not worthy. But what we do and what we offer is our place in the world. And so I want to invite women of color to think about worth, to take inventory for how you feel in terms of your worthiness. Because I believe that we are all worthy and we deserve everything just because we are who we are. Not because we've got a fantastic job and make this much money and so we can buy the car of our dreams. Not because we did so many random acts of kindnesses, that we serve in the church, that we care for the senior citizens in our neighborhood, that we deserve goodness and awesome things in our life. We deserve everything because we just are. You know, I think about... um, how some women, when they can buy something that feels like a guilty pleasure, you know, let's say, I don't know, not, not even that. Let's just say like there's, there's a person who doesn't go to the nail salon at all because they don't think that they deserve to be treated in that way to have someone care for their fingers and toes. And so what is that about? It's about this conditioning that we grew up with. These beliefs that were given to us that say you're not enough and you need to prove to me, whoever this invisible me is, usually white folks, Um, you need to prove to me that you deserve a manicure 
just for argument's sake, we'll just say a manicure. And what happens with that is that we work so hard to get external approval, to rack up external credits towards this feeling of deserving whatever it is that we want. You know, if it's just a manicure, like, okay, I need to take my kids to school, cook them dinner, fold their laundry, um, drive them to sports practice, take care of my mom, cook for her, do my own job, whatever that job is, for the next, I don't know, let's say three months, and then I can sneak out and get my get a manicure for myself. I don't know if that's a good example. <laughs> but you get the idea. You get the idea of this I this this belief that we're not good enough. And the thing is no matter what we do to feel like these are actions I can take to feel good enough, no matter what we do, it's not going to be enough. That feeling of worth needs to come from within. That feeling of deserving needs to come from the inside out. You got to work on what's happening within you. What's going on in your heart? What's going on in your brain? What's going on in your gut? Sometimes those three things are not in alignment. So what do you do? Well, first, the heart is, in my opinion, the the sort of outranks <laughs> the gut and the and the mind but others might disagree but for me the heart is the is the first place to start okay and sometimes it's hard for us to get in touch with the heart because we've denied it for so long you know the heart will just say something and they're like no 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 no, no. we'll dismiss it we'll push it away we'll cover it up stuff it down no, 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 that's not, that's not how it is. And then the heart's voice gets a little quieter because we've, we've buried it. We've covered, we've put so many layers of limiting beliefs on top of it. And in the heart resides our intuitive voice, right? And what happens is that we lose track of who we are being. And usually what happens in this case is that the mind then takes over, the ego takes over, the ego pays attention around the external and says, all right, this is what we gotta do. Here's our big checklist. We gotta do this, this, this. We gotta get a job after we graduate from college. Oh yeah, by the way, we gotta go to college. So let's let's just start, start over. All right, we go to school, graduate from high school, go to college, get a job, work a job, in some environment that does not nourish us. Save for retirement and retire somewhere and then die, right? That's, that's the trajectory for, for a lot of folks. Now I know that there are some who don't have that, um, but that's the, that's the map that, that society has laid out. And so what happens is externally, women in particular, 
we um, are taught to know our place, right? So when I was growing up as a kid, um, this wasn't explicitly stated. It was more understood that little girls are to be seen and not heard. So I didn't talk a lot, and but I listened. I listened a lot, and oh boy, did I listen. And I remember uh, once my parents and a bunch of other adults were talking about me in Tagalog. You know, for those that don't know, my parents um, came here from the Philippines. And so they were speaking Tagalog about me. And at one point they said, oh, she doesn't understand. And I was like, Mm, yeah, no, you're you're wrong. <laughs> I understood everything that they were saying. And they and I said and I told them and I said, "No, I understand what you're saying." And they're like, "Oh, no, 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 no. It's not possible." You know. Um and then I translated for them what they said. And then they were shocked. And I was like, "Yeah, uh-huh." <laughs> no, but that's just an example of um how I was taught as a little girl to not speak, to not be, you know, to not have a presence, to um, to not be seen, and also not heard. And then when I was heard, then it was this this shock, like, oh, we forgot that you were there, and oh, we forgot that you know how to listen and that you're understanding, and that's crazy. Um, it was a little bit of a bewilderment on their part. But in thinking about how we act, you know, and how we're conditioned to act, our tu- intuition, our intuitive voice starts, the volume on that starts to get turned down. So it gets harder to, to remember who we are at our essence. And so what I'm inviting you to do is to just take some time some quiet time. It doesn't have to be formal meditation. It could be you just sitting and maybe journaling um, and just going within and asking yourself, okay, can I hear my intuitive voice? What is she saying? And if I can't, what might be blocking the way? What might be muffling her voice? Because that voice is the voice that knows we are worthy, that knows that we deserve all the things that we want. I'm a big believer in the fact that our desires in our hearts were put there for a reason and that it is our purpose to go and seek that out. Now, Some might be saying, well, you know, I desire a big luxury car. Okay, go ahead. Go get it. You know, no one's stopping you. You deserve that. If that's what you want, go ahead. And that might be um, taking some people aback. (laughs) Taking you by surprise. Wait, what is she talking about? It's It's all a game if you think about it. We are here to play the game of being a human being on this planet. And so if you want, if you desire in your heart 
a luxury car, like a $100,000 luxury car, if that's your desire, then you find a way to get it. And, I, and I'm talking more about like manifestation and um, money mindset and, and all those kinds of things, um, which is a different topic altogether. <laughs> but I want to talk about the, our intuition and how the ego, let's say the intuition says, yeah, you know, I want a $100,000 car. It just feels good. It makes me feel like my best, highest version of myself. And the ego's like, listen to you being all materialistic. Like, who are you to want that? Who are you to do this? You don't deserve that. You're not worthy of that. Only rich people can have that kind of car. Like, why do you want a car? How materialistic are you? I thought you're supposed to be all love and light and spiritual and, you know, material things are nothing to you. You know, see how the ego can talk? Man, that's hard to escape. But if you take the time to really listen in, to that heart you'll hear it's not about the material thing it's not about the fact that the car costs a hundred thousand dollars it's about the fact that the car itself creates a feeling a vibration in you that helps you become your highest self I know for some people this might sound cockamamie and I'm going to tell you, by the way, that's my favorite word these days. I might be saying that a lot. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that that's the way to look at it. I mean, if it's a true desire of your heart. Now, it takes some work to discern between the desire of the heart and um, the desire of the ego, which is a, a materialistic thing, right? The ego could be like, yeah. We, we can have anything we want. Yeah, I want that $100,000 car. Yeah, for sure. But if that doesn't resonate in your heart, in your intuition, in your deepest inner self, then that, that might be the materialism we're looking at, right? So I want you to take some time this week to just step back and take a little internal inventory. See if you can locate your inner voice, your intuition, your heart voice. And if you can't, maybe just take a look at what are the things that might be in the way? What are the guilty things, the sense of guilt or shame? Like, where does that come from? This lack of, um, well, not lack, but I, this feeling of worthlessness. Where does it come from? If you can start from there and start to uncover it, you might be able to peel back those layers and then see what happens. Some cool things might happen, you don't know. All right, so I just wanted you to ponder upon these things. I'm feeling very contemplative today and let me know how you, how you, like what results you come up with, how things turn out. Okay. All right. So I'm going to close the episode with uh, a poem by Rumi. And I'm just going to flip through this book, The Essential Rumi. And we'll see what comes forward. Ooh, this is a little longer. 
but we'll, we'll read it. It's called Dervish at the Door. A dervish knocked at a house to ask for a piece of dry bread. Or moist. It didn't matter. This is not a bakery, said the owner. Might you have a bit of gristle, then? Does this look like a butcher shop? A little flour? Do you hear a grinding stone? Some water. This is not a well. Whatever the dervish asked for, the man made some tired joke and refused to give him anything. Finally, the dervish ran in the house, lifted his robe, and squatted as though to take a dump. Hey, hey! Quiet, you sad man. A deserted place is a fine spot to relieve oneself, and since there's no living thing here, or means of living, it needs fertilizing. The dervish began his own list of questions and answers. What kind of bird are you? Not a falcon, trained for the royal hand. Not a peacock, painted for every with everyone's eyes. Not a parrot that talks for sugar cubes. Not a nightingale that sings like someone in love. Not a hopo bringing messages to Solomon, or a stork that builds on a cliffside. What exactly do you do? You are no known species. You haggle and make jokes to keep what you own for yourself. You have forgotten the one who doesn't care about ownership, who doesn't try to turn a profit from every human exchange. Mm. Man, that dervish. Ooh, he taught him a lesson. All right, my friends, take some time. Be with the poems that I shared. Be with yourself. Just journal a few notes down and see what happens. And then next week, we'll be back at it again. All right? And so until next time, the divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Namaste. Healing trauma is different for everybody, but it's often overlooked when it comes to women of color. What does healing look like for us? What tools can we use? How can we tap into our own innate power to assist in that healing? In my eight-week course, Heal to Power, I help you through the challenges of healing from traumas, including wounds of racism and sexism, generational trauma, childhood trauma, in ways that work from the inside out. This is not the therapy you know. Get on the wait list when doors open again in late January 2021. Go to suryagian.com heal to power waitlist for more info. Because you are worth healing. Your best life starts now.